Abandon all prejudices, all ye who enter here. Park your paradigms, perk up your ears, and open your mind as we now shine the laser light of reason on the topic of Rest in Peace, Johann Sebastian Bach. My first experiences with this great composer. Hello, I'm David Bolton, and welcome to my podcast channel, dedicated to helping people think more clearly, make sounder judgments, avoid superficiality, and above all, to unceasingly question instead of naively accepting what others want us to believe, for this is the path of Socrates. My friends, I don't want to insinuate, as you might think from the title, my first experiences with this great composer, that in some past life I knew Johann Sebastian Bach. I do think there's significant evidence for reincarnation, but I would never say that I knew Bach. No, I mean in this life. It's kind of interesting to trace things back. Now, for most people, it's probably different from my case, but I could say that about many different things in my life. For most people, I suppose, they start piano lessons when they're five, six, seven, and they have little easy pieces that were written by totally no-name people who wrote the, the beginner's book. But then they have little pieces, real little pieces. Like, for example, little Bach minuets, some of which weren't even composed by Bach. We know now they're composed by other people, but <laughs> that's a musicological question. In any case, you might have gotten your first Bach piece, maybe that minuet in G major. Once again, that wasn't written by Bach, the famous one. You know, you know what I mean, I think, if you've heard this sort of music before. Or maybe one of the other pieces in that book, some very simple piece by Bach. And probably it didn't impress you all that much. However, your teacher was saying, yes, this is by Bach, the great Bach. And you might have heard some stories about him, but you were only a child. So it didn't really mean much to you. But as time went by, you had other pieces and you finally got to the two-part inventions, for example. And depending on your musical tastes, you probably either thought, uh, for example, wow, these are interesting. These really stimulate the mind, not just the emotion. Boy, these, these are really pretty good little works. Or you might have thought, oh, no, oh, this is so difficult with both hands. I just, I just want a, a melody with some kind of simple accompaniment. <laughs> you know, that's maybe the people who later in life, if they become musicians, uh, prefer to play Grieg or Tchaikovsky, <laughs> their piano pieces, uh, or, or Chopin, whatever, instead of Bach. Because as we all know, there's some people that just hear Bach and they're totally taken with it. And others, even if they're musicians, then they just don't prefer Bach. Right? And that's a very interesting question psychologically. What sort of personality is so attracted to, to counterpoint specifically and to music of Bach in particular? Well, what was my first experience like? Okay, I did not have any piano lessons as a child. Yes, right next door to us in the semi-detached house in Baltimore, Maryland, that was 608 East 41st Street. You know, you can actually go into Google Earth, I discovered like 15 years ago, and find the address where you used to live, if the house is still standing, and the house is still there. I mean, back then it was a really dangerous neighborhood. Uh, it was mostly a black neighborhood. I had a lot of black friends, so a lot of great people there. But yeah, there was high crime rate. And now I think it's at least as dangerous. But I must say the people who lived there, the house looks better than it did then. <laughs> they fixed it up more in the outside uh, than we did. And right next to us was an old woman named Mrs. Steigel. 
Mrs. Steigel was a piano teacher and a voice teacher above all. She was over 70. I mean, to me, she seemed ancient because I was like, what, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever. But now, it doesn't, I guess she wasn't too old. I'm 66, so what can I say? Uh, but Mrs. Steigel, I remember she had a, a pupil, a rather chubby boy, maybe he was a little older than I was, maybe he was 12. He had red hair, and he sang in some school choir, and he would come uh, every week. He was kind of like those figures you'd see, I don't know, in cartoons, the good child who always he gets good marks because he studies and and he does whatever his teachers want he was a good guy didn't know the kid right but he always made that impression he's very proper and then i might be trying to take a nap in the house but i'd hear her playing arpeggi that is da, 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 da. sorry i'm a lousy singer i can play keyboards but i can't sing well i can't control my voice and so she'd be playing da, 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 da. and he'd be singing la 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 and then we'd go up a half a step da, 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 da. and he would sing i'll never forget that well anyway old mrs steigel said to my mother well if david would like to learn the piano i'll teach him and it's right next door the houses were attached and i said we don't have a piano I said, well he can he can come over here every day and practice here of course if you're a piano teacher and she'd do that for free she's an old lady didn't have much to do didn't have any pupils and it would have been good for me, I guess, but I thought, I'm not going to go over to old Mrs. Steigl's house every day and be playing her little grand piano. I'm not going to do that. Now, why wouldn't I want to do that? Well, now, if Mrs. Steigl had been really maybe an accomplished pianist, and if I had heard her playing Bach, I didn't know who Bach was then, by the way, but I probably would have wow, what is that? That's interesting. But no, I just heard her play more other little things that her pupils played, little maybe a few little minuets of Bach. I don't know. I can't tell now. But I wasn't interested. So how did I get into music? Those of you who know me as the digital harpsichordist know that I've recorded works by hundreds of composers, more old keyboard composers, I think, than anybody, not in time. The total master there is Fernando Di Luca. Maybe you know him. Uh, he's recorded over 400 hours of music. Go to his site. Uh, it's, it's really, really impressive. Uh, well, I do things digitally because I no longer have a real harpsichord. Uh, anyway, I've recorded uh, music of um, 600 and I think I've put up 668 composers or something like that. Have 40 more in the waiting list. I only put up one every two days. But how did I get to the point where I'm so interested in music, especially older music like Baroque music? Yes, I studied some piano, so I got into Beethoven and Schumann, Chopin, all those, some Scriab and such things, Rachmaninoff. But my greatest love was always for older music. And uh, But let me start at the beginning. Let, let me not <laughs> go too far afield, which I tend to do by nature, I suppose. Okay. When I was 13, we moved from Baltimore to Hanover, PA, from big, dangerous city that was absolutely horrible. I mean, I'm talking about a neighborhood where you hear gunshots at night. That's where the police were afraid to come into a neighborhood. And unless somebody was really injured, they refused to come in. You called them up and said, oh, this happened. Somebody stole me and say, well, okay, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look into it. They didn't do anything. I mean, really, talk about ghetto Baltimore. And that might mean something to some of you. Once, this, once again, there's some really great people there. And when I moved away, I was sad to leave my friends. Had a few white friends and black friends too. And, uh, and they were good people and their families were good people. I felt so sorry for them that they weren't able to move away from that hellhole because it was dominated by gangs. And that was a minority, of course, but uh, this place, that's one of the, the greatest blights in American culture, that they don't clean up those cities and get rid of all these thugs there. It's really, really terrible. 
But anyway, we moved to Hanover, PA, where my grandmother lived, had a nice big house that was designed by my grandfather, whom I never knew. He died before I was born. And, uh, and Hanover, PA was so safe. Sure, there was a gang there called the Pine Street Gang. <laughs> so my friends there and I, sometimes we'd cross over their, their territory. We didn't have a territory. It was a group of kids who played baseball. But then the Pine Street Gang would, would chase us. And I ran away, too, because they were bigger than we are. There were more of them. But I kind of laughed it off. My friends said, wow, they're really dangerous. They said, compared to Baltimore, they're nothing. They're not going to kill us, right? I mean, we're gonna, we're gonna, like punch a few times, but it's nothing really serious. So once again, how did I find Bach amongst all of this? Well, we moved to Hanover, PA. And I always loved libraries. Now, in Baltimore, I couldn't walk the library because I'd be risking my life to walk, I don't know how far away, the nearest Enoch Pratt library, well, maybe a mile. But it would be like similar walking across a minefield. You walk through that neighborhood for a mile. Uh, and if, you're not, if you don't have a machine gun, uh, you better look out because you're going to be robbed. You might be attacked, beaten up, maybe even killed. So I didn't even think about walking to the library. And I couldn't ask my mother always drive me to the library. Every once in a while, my father went to the library and book out. Libraries always fascinated me. I thought, wow, this is like heaven. Thousands thousands of books. Oh, my God, this subject, that subject. But I didn't get to libraries too much as a kid. Occasionally, yes. And my parents would buy me some books for Christmas about the Civil War. I always loved history anyway. So when we moved to Hanover, there's a library, and it was, I don't know, four, four blocks away. So, wow, this is great. So I go down there and start looking around books, and they had a record section. No, not CD. We didn't know what CDs were back then because we're talking about 1969, right? Wait, that was a long time ago, <laughs> over 50 years. And they had a record section, okay. And then a classical record section. Now, what did I know about classical music? Well, I had never had any musical training, no piano lessons, anything like that. But my parents had some records they never listened to. My mother belonged to some sort of record club, I think because she won some Benny Goodman records or something like that. She had some old 78s, but, but I never heard her listen to them either. I think she just signed up for some kind of book record club on a whim to get something cheap or whatever. And then every once in a while, she'd get a record and pay it. So she had, I don't know, uh, the Nutcracker Suite of Tchaikovsky that I listened to sometime. Now I laugh at it because Tchaikovsky is not my composer of choice to listen to. Although, yeah, he wrote some really nice music. But I listened, I thought, wow, this is different from all this pop music. I never was into pop or rock and roll. I thought it was horrible. Too loud with the wild, these drums and beating. It was kind of primitive. I don't know. Uh, some pop songs I liked. Remember Downtown? I think it was Petula Clark. Some songs were kind of neat, right? I thought. And I liked uh, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. You know, this Mexican-flavored music with, uh, with, with uh, trumpets and such things. And I thought, oh, that's kind of neat. It's like Mexico. It would be interesting to go to Mexico someday. So, yeah, there's some music that I like, but I didn't listen to music all the time. But anyway, in this record section in the Hanover Public Library, they had, it wasn't a big record section. It was, let me remember here, maybe five little compartments with records. And one part they had more modern stuff, and others had classical music, uh, the typical stuff, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Suite, and, and other things too. But never forget, I saw one record, and it was called Bach for Harpsichord. The harpsichord was Fernando Valenti. Look him up on YouTube. Brilliant harpsichordist. Playing a 20th century harpsichord, but I mean, it's a brilliant performer. 
Now, I'd never, I, maybe I saw the name Bach someplace or another. I didn't know really who he was. I was 14, didn't know who Bach was. Maybe I had some idea. Was a, well, I knew he was a composer, a classical composer. Okay, that's all I knew. Because in our Catholic school, we didn't have any music classes, unfortunately. I certainly, I think, would have excelled when I learned of some of these great masters. But it was the word harpsichord that got me. It was the word harpsichord. Why? Well, because as a kid, I remember watching two shows in particular. One was The Addams Family. And do you remember Lurch? This big monster of a man. I'm 6'2", but this guy is like oh, seven feet tall or whatever. And very somber indeed and very strong. I mean, just, well, you have to watch some episode of the old uh, Addams Family TV show, the movies I didn't like for a number of reasons. First, because they had Lurch playing the organ. I <laughs> know, Lurch can't play the organ. He has to play the harpsichord. So the movies were way off track. But he's playing the harpsichord. It was so funny seeing this big, strong guy who was so scary sitting down this dainty keyboard, the harpsichord. They had a harpsichord that was highly decorated, like in French style. I think, well, it was black and white show, but I think it was one of those painted yellow with all the little flowers on it and things. And this big monster guy playing this delicate music. And I just thought, the sound of the harpsichord was neat. He didn't play Bach, I remember. He played the Adams Family theme sometimes or something else. And then he would swoon back and forth. He got so in the music. This guy who could hardly talk, he was like a big monster or something, right? It was, it was hilarious. But I liked the sound of the harpsichord. But the second influence there was my favorite TV show as soon as it was on TV, 1965, September 65, The Wild Wild West, a Western. Boy, I loved Westerns. But The Wild Wild West was not the best Western of all times, but it was the coolest Western of all times. No doubt about it. Robert Conrad, the actor, uh, he wasn't the best actor in the world, but he was a stuntman. So he did all the fight scenes, everything himself. He would jump off roofs. He would fall off horses. He would, in all the fight scenes, it was him. They could show him close up because it was really him fighting, right? And that show was so cool. But his favorite adversary who would return again and again was Dr. Miguelito Loveless. Michael Dunn playing him, a brilliant actor who was a dwarf. Not just small, he was actually had this physical defect. He was a dwarf and he suffered greatly. He died at the young age of 33. When he was in the wild, wild west, the guy was only like 28 years old, 29. He looked considerably older. Brilliant actor. But he played an evil genius, a dwarf evil genius, who was highly sophisticated. He was total genius, scientific genius, genius in everything, basically. And he would always have his lair, maybe within a cave or someplace. You didn't know where it was exactly. And his room would have maybe an animal head here and some scientific experiment there and some uh, suit of armor from the Middle Ages there. But there'd be a harpsichord in the room. And seated at the harpsichord was Antoinette. Well, one of his accomplices, she wasn't necessarily bright, but she was beautiful. As a kid, I thought, wow, what a beautiful girl. I mean, okay, she's old for me, might have been early 20s or whatever, right? But, but old for me because I was 10. <laughs> and she was beautiful, and she sang with a heavenly voice. And Michael Dunn, the dwarf, he sang too. As a matter of fact, in real life, the two, Michael Dunn and Phoebe Doran was her name, the actress. They had a duo, the dwarf well, and, and, and Phoebe Doran, and they would sing. He would sing tenor, and she would sing soprano, I believe it was. And they would sing duets, and they would sing in bars or whatever. It was an act they had, right? So when they, when they got on the Wild Wild West, they hired Michael Dunn for this role. But then I think he wanted to have her on too. That was his partner in music. They later had somewhat of a falling out. I won't get into that. <laughs> this show about how I got into Bach, right? 
And uh, no, they didn't play Bach. He, she didn't play Bach on the harpsichord, but they would sing together. And I thought as a kid, well, to be a genius, not an evil genius necessarily, of course, but to be but that dwarf, what a cool guy. I was always a talker, though. What a cool guy. He might be a dwarf, but he is so superior to other human beings. Unfortunately, he's bad, but he's bad in a cool way. And he knows so much about so many things. He's so clever. He speaks so well. He's so articulate. He's so eloquent. And he, he has this beautiful girl. I don't know whether it's supposed to be a girlfriend. They didn't really say that, but you could, uh, well, maybe, you know. <laughs> and she's beautiful. And she would sing at, while playing the harpsichord, and he would accompany her. I thought, wow, this is like heaven. Because I like the sound of the harpsichord. Okay, that's the background with the harpsichord sound. But now we go back to when I was 14, or we go forward to when I was 14, and I'm in that library. And I still remember, I pull out that record album, Bach for Harpsichord. I thought, oh, harpsichord. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to borrow this record, because I like the sound of the harpsichord. Little did I know to what that would lead. Little did I know. I took that record home. I put it on. And I remember that the first time, it's 1969, we're going back here 50, almost 53 years. Almost, it was probably like October, September, October 69, right? It's July 2022 now, so like over, 50, you know, over 50 years. And I put that record on, I listened, I thought, oh my God, how could I not have heard this music before? This is absolutely fantastic. It... Well, you know what they talk about, like maybe people who are, I don't know, Saul to Paul, right? Somebody who doesn't like Jesus Christ and religion, but then he has this great uh, epiphany and this great mystical experience. That was it's something similar. I heard this music. It wasn't just the sound of the harpsichord, which I thought was cool because I like the harpsichord. as already described. But the music, I thought, oh my God, how could anybody create such divine? This is so beyond anything I'd ever heard. I mean, seriously, I guess mostly musicians will hear this episode and you'll think, yep, David, you had good instincts. I must say I always had that. I don't have it for other areas. Take me to an art museum. And if I've learned that this painting is a great painting, I'll say, oh, yeah, I've read this a great painting. But if you just leave me to my devices there in the art museum and say, OK, David, pick out the three best paintings, I'm not going to be able to pick them out. I'll probably pick out ones that I like the best. Maybe some Dutch master, a small painting of a living room in Holland in the year 1600 <laughs> that often had a musical instrument in it, right? But not for that reason. I like these little detailed paintings that show us scenes of life from back then, but they aren't necessarily the greatest paintings artistically. I don't have the ability to recognize immediately a painting, say, this is a great masterpiece, unless I already know that it is. But for music, strangely, I've always had that ability. I've always had that ability, even from the beginning, I could hear music and it was great music. I knew it immediately. Okay. Uh, a clairvoyant who didn't know anything about me once told me I had a past life with a musician, nobody famous at all, probably nobody that even I've never heard of, and I've heard of at least a thousand composers of 16th, 17th, 18th century. Uh, I'm probably never, not even one of them, probably at a lower level, I don't know. You could maybe explain it by that, or some kind of aesthetic sensitivity to have music. Now, I don't have perfect pitch. Some people have perfect pitch, they have a much better hearing than I do, but for quality in music, even if it's a style that I don't like, I can recognize this is great music. I've just always had this. And that's the first time it showed. I listened to this recording. And on this recording, there are things like the chromatic fantasy and fugue, which is a great work. Later, it was never one of my favorite works of Bach. Uh, Toccata in D major, I still love that Toccata. Some little preludes of Bach that I still love, but for emotional reasons, because they were the first things of Bach that I heard. And even with them, I thought, oh my God, this is such great music. 
It also had a, a, a fantasy in C minor and Prelude, Fugue, and Allegro in E-flat major. You can go and look for a Bach for harpsichord, Fernando Valenti in YouTube. And a, a few years ago, to my great delight, because I only had it in LP and I don't have a record player anymore. That's the only, when I moved away from Spain, I, I had to get rid of all my records and that was 12 years ago. And even then I wasn't using them. I was using CDs, of course, for decades. But I saw maybe a couple hundred records, but I kept one record and it's in this apartment in Japan, Bach for harpsichord. I can't even play the record. Because I'm a record player, and it, and it's one that, of course, after I listened to that from the library, I ordered it and I bought it. It was like four ninety five or something like that. It seems cheap now, <laughs> but it seems expensive at the same time because now we hear all these things for free classical music on YouTube, right? So that's the only LP that I still own. My very first recording of Bach for harpsichord. But that was my first acquaintance with Bach. That was my first thought. How could I not have heard this music before? It is just so great. At the same time, from the very beginning, I thought someday, and I was somebody, I didn't even have a piano lesson in my life. I wasn't really so attracted to it or anything, but I thought, I have to play this music. I just knew someday I'm, I'm going to have to play this music. And I have to explore immediately other music of Bach, which I did. I went back to the library and I saw they didn't have many Bach harpsichords, but they had Bach piano, Glenn Gould, my first acquaintance with Glenn Gould, the great pianist, the well-tempered clavier. That means something to a lot of you, I'm sure. And I got that out and oh my God, when I heard those preludes and fugues, I thought, oh my God, I'm finally home. It's almost like a soul dying and going to the astral world. Oh, hello, great, great grandfather. I'm finally back. Oh, dad, have you been dead for so many years? It was kind of like that. Listening to Glenn Gould play, uh, Glenn Gould was still alive. I mean, he didn't die till 1982, I believe it was. Uh, but to hear this music of Bach, and that was on the piano, not harpsichord, but to hear the well-tempered clavier, and then of course the Goldberg variations. And then the first one was actually Glenn Gould playing piano concerti of Bach. Well, harpsichord concerti, playing on the piano. The balance wasn't right. The piano is really too loud compared to the orchestra, I would say now after so many years. But what brilliant recordings. And the very first one I heard was the E major. And so I've always loved that concerto especially, though I never have played it, strangely enough. But I don't play with, with orchestras generally. So that, that explains that. Otherwise, I would choose that immediately. But then I would get at other things of Bach. I started to collect Glenn Gould records, other harpsichord records. Too. I discovered the Musical Heritage Society. Some of your older folks remember that. It was some organization in New York that sold records. The record jackets were plain. It was almost like getting pornography. Or so it was just plain jacket, J.S. Bach, uh, Concertos after Vivaldi, B.W.V. da 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 da, right? The Bach, Bach Verzeichnis number. <laughs> uh, but they, there's nothing attractive about the, the covers because what they did was they would import European recordings, classical recordings, and then they reprinted them the, the records, the LPs in America, and just gave them cheap covers. It wasn't like Columbia Records or anything like that. And they would advertise in like music magazines or whatever, Musical Heritage Society. And they were cheap. Instead of like $4.99 or whatever, they were maybe $2.99, you know, maybe sometimes special deals. So I would get, uh, I discovered Scarlatti that way, Scarlatti sonatas. Uh, I then expanded with piano. I remember I had a paper route at that time delivering newspapers. And I'll never forget, uh, what was her name? <laughs> I'll never forget. I remember the woman in her face, uh, old Mrs. Alcott. <laughs> Somebody from Hanover, PA, correct me. 
Alcott, I think her name was, I don't remember. I remember her face, though. It's a very old woman, it was about 90 years old. She had been librarian at the Hanover Library all of her life, like, you know, 60 years, 70 years, whatever. And then she finally retired. And she was on my paper route. So I took the newspaper house and, 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 she, and sometimes I, we exchanged some friendly words. I said, yes, I've, I knew she, she had mentioned she liked classical music, I think. And I said, yes, I discovered Bach. And, I, and she said, oh, have you discovered Beethoven yet? I said, Beethoven? No, but I've seen her. As a course, library said, look into Beethoven. You're going to really like him. Boy, did she know. Because later I got into Beethoven. I started with Glenn Gould playing Beethoven, the sonatas opus 10, numbers 1, 2, and 3. Once again, I was blown away. It didn't have the same effect on me as Bach, but I thought, well, my problem was we didn't even have a piano. My parents were not about to buy me a harpsichord. Let me just say our social economic status was not that of those who can easily buy a harpsichord. <laughs> and my parents were not going to buy, there would be no room for it, first of all, in our house. Uh, there'd be no money to even think of buying one, right? But then something happened that was at the same time sad, but had good results. You know, sometimes things happen that are really sad, but on the other hand, they turn out well. This was my sophomore year in high school. This was, let's see, how was I then? 14, I was, I guess, 15. Uh, well, first of all, my grandmother in her big house, about a mile from us, had a piano. And that was on my route coming back from school. A lot, I'd, I'd walk home from school, maybe two miles, whatever. I didn't, I liked to walk. And I'd pass her house, usually stop in and see her. But she had a piano. I said, Grandma, can I play your piano? Oh, yeah, sure you can. I couldn't play anything, obviously. But she had some old music there in the piano bends because she had had some pianos younger. My mother had some piano. They didn't progress too well at all, really, piano. They both had amazing talent for drawing and painting. My mother then studied art, as did her sister. My grandmother never studied it, but she was a natural talent for, for painting and drawing. I didn't inherit that. But for music, they all had lessons when they were young, but it didn't really bring it to much. But they had some simple beginner's book. And so I would start then, Let, let's learn these, these clefts here. Oh, I remember how hard it was. Even simple things. Da, 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 da. Little one-hand exercises like that, and if you're you don't know anything, just to find the note. What's that? Oh, it says middle C. Where is that? And they're trying to associate the notes with the lines and the spaces. Thinking, boy, this is weird, right? And I was already well when I first started. I was 14 still, right? When when this happened, so I go to my grandmother's house when we didn't have her piano yet, right? I was just visiting her house and eh, a few times a week and figuring out the notes. I'll never at one time. I was so fascinated by the chromatic fantasy and fugue of Bach <laughs> that I went out to Shermer's music shop and bought a score for the chromatic fantasy and fugue. Now imagine, this is a 14 year old who's never played the piano. Oh, don't expect that I'm gonna sit down and then play it after a month. Oh my God, no. I remember sitting there after doing some simple exercises, trying to figure out where middle C was and where the next highest C was. And what's this? Oh, this is the G line. Which G is that? Oh, it's this one. And then, then think, oh my God, I've learned all these things for the bass clef as well. <laughs> I still remember that. Such a, uh, this is maybe one reason why in subsequent years, I would try to read through everything at my hands on. A few years later, studying music in college, I would borrow music and just read through everything, usually pretty slowly, especially with some kind of rhapsody of list or something, right? As a result, I became a pretty good sight reader because I was so frustrated at not being able to read the notes. 
So I can say I'm a much better than average sight reader. If I weren't, I couldn't do my project now with composing all these composers. It would be a total nightmare. I'd have to work out all these, oh, let's see. I'm a pretty good sight reader. But back then, of course, I was a beginner. But I got the chromatic fantasy in Fugue. And I'll never forget this scene. There I was, and there I guess I was still 14. I put it up in front of me on the piano. And I thought, okay, let's try to figure this out. <laughs> let's see. The D, okay, this would be, okay, it's a D. I see that because it's a space below the E line, and it's just next to middle C. So it starts here. I mean, this is the level, really. And then next, okay, let's get E, F. Okay, it's a scale going up there. Oh, what's, oh, it's a B flat there, right? I'll never forget, my grandmother was there smiling, standing next to me. And she said, oh, that page is just black with notes. You'll never be able to play that. I'll never forget that. She said that play, page is black with notes. There's so many notes there compared to simple stuff. She said, you'll never be able to play that. And I was offended. I just kept looking at the score. I said, yes, I will. Once again, don't expect any miraculous story that in three months of playing Chromatic Fantasy it, took, it would take me years. And by the time I was the level that I could play it, I wasn't really interested in it anymore. I discovered many more works of Bach. It was, I don't think I regularly practiced that thing for quite a few years because so many other people played it, right? Uh, sooner or later, I thought, oh, well, I'll have to do that too. And at some point or another, when I had the real harpsichord, many, many years later, I thought, okay, I'm going to do Chromatic Fantasy and Fugue. And it is a great work, don't get me wrong but I'll never forget that. So this is the way I discovered J.S. Bach from a record in a library at the age of 14. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, especially those of you who aren't musicians. <laughs> You're thinking that David was a really strange kid <laughs> because usually at age 14, what are kids doing? Well, okay, now I guess they're playing more basketball or soccer even. Uh, back then playing baseball, I played baseball. I like to go out with our friends and play baseball, right? When I was 15, uh, I got into martial arts as well. Well, that's kind of normal, right? Uh, a little later, no, a couple years later, I got on the chess team. I played chess as well. So was I totally normal? Well, maybe not. But for a 14-year-old to hear a, a recording Bach for harpsichord and to think, my God, I'm finally home. This, this is it. This is it. And I have to play that music someday. I would say that's kind of weird. I would say that's probably kind of weird. Is this a sign that maybe in some past life I'd had connections to, to some kind of great music, maybe even, I don't know, indirectly to Bach. I used to be a pianist and play Bach or harpsichord, whatever. I don't know. I really don't know that. Some psychic said that I was a musician in past life, so maybe that's why I can appreciate good music. Maybe it was simply that. And maybe it has nothing to do with the supposed past lives. It's some kind of sensitivity to me. It's interesting, though. I didn't know they said he was maybe the greatest composer of all time, but I heard his music and I thought, oh, my God, this is the greatest stuff I've ever heard. Of course, I had, hadn't heard Beethoven yet, hadn't heard Chopin yet. I didn't have much of a comparison among great composers. But I recognized immediately this, this composer was something one of a kind. And everything I learned since then confirmed that. Well, obviously, you musicians realize that. It's not a question of a personal preference. There's some great composers, uh, Prokofiev was a great composer. Not level of Bach, he was a great composer. Generally, I don't like his music, though. It's too brutal for me. Stravinsky, a great composer. But once again, it's too brutal. So we all have our tastes there. But that's, that's apart from recognizing... Uh, you know, it's, it's like in German, they have two words. Das Gefühl, that's feeling. Gefühl and die Empfindung. Speaking on a philosophical level, Gefühl, that's your feeling. Like, I don't like 
Stravinsky, he's too brutal. My feeling just kind of rejects that brutality. And not always, but you know, a lot of times this music of Prokofiev too very brutal. Empfindung is that which, in an aesthetic sense now, that which tells you, well, maybe I like this, maybe I don't, that doesn't matter. But do I recognize a certain musical quality and level there? And that seems to be the gift that I have, that I recognize. And that's the only special gift I have for music. I'm a very good sight reader, but I, there are people that are better than I am. Uh, my, I have a certain ear for music, but there are many people with a better ear for music than I have. People that are more expressive when playing or whatever. But recognized music is really a value. That's a special gift I have. And that served me very well then when I first heard the music of Johann Sebastian Bach. I had no idea to where that would lead. To sum it up rapidly, where did it lead? Well, in April of my sophomore year, second year in high school then, that is when I was 15 and a half, my grandmother moved away. That big, beautiful house that I just loved. She was going to give it up to live in a smaller house. Why? Because she couldn't pay the taxes. It was like a piece of property. It was pretty big. And, uh, and also the house was bigger, so you pay more property taxes. Maybe this is why I have something against the socialistic idea, right? Oh, you have a big house. You have to pay more taxes. She was a little old lady that hardly had any money in the bank. I mean, they used to have money. But, but then she had to give up her house because the town demanded, oh, bigger house, more land, more, more taxes. And so she was forced out of her house. And I, don't, I really don't think that should be. But on the other hand, although that was so sad for me, since then the house has been torn down. That was in the 2000s when it was torn down. My mother told me about it then. I was already living abroad. I guess I was living then yeah, in, in Spain at the time, 15 years ago, whenever it was. And that was sad to hear about that house being torn down. But when she did move, she's moving a small house. She said, well, why don't I give you the piano? Because in a small house, there's no room for it. And you want to play the piano? My parents said, well, okay. So we got the old piano that was not, certainly no Steinway. And it was from 1930s because my mother's uncle had given it to her one time so she could play. He was a priest, but he had some money saved up, I guess. And maybe the piano was used then. It was a Mercer. They don't even make that kind anymore from York, PA. I don't know when they made those. Even when new, I'm sure it was not a good piano. And this was not a really good piano, but it was all I had. So I started practicing there. And of course, it's difficult then for my parents to watch TV. I couldn't practice too much when nobody was there. I'd practice as much as I could, but I'd play whenever I got a chance. I wanted to practice and, and just learn. So the, at first, I was self-taught. I then got a really good teacher for a little while who had known Rachmaninoff, imagine, right? the guy's long dead. And he taught me what discipline is in practicing. Oh, my God. I mean, I learned discipline in practicing the way young recruits for the Marines learned discipline Marine Corps in, say, the 1940s. <laughs> you know, he was a, well, not an easy teacher to get along with in that sense. I'd practice three hours a day, and he'd say, every week, you're just not practicing enough. <laughs> yeah, I said, but, but Mr. Smith, <laughs> his name was Walter David Smith, Mr. Smith, I'm practicing two and a half or three hours a day. I can't anymore because my father's watching TV, and I have to do homework. I have to go to school. And I said, and I said well, how much did you practice when you're my age? He said, 10 or 11 hours. I said, 10 or 11 hours? How could you do that? He said, well, I gave up school. I'm trying to... I said, well, how could you do that? How? He said, well, I couldn't have had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I didn't laugh, though. <laughs> he was kind of reminiscing. Uh, but he became a, a concert pianist. Nobody really famous, but he played all the Beethoven sonatas. And he was really pretty good level concert pianist. So he broke his hand and had to give up his, his career as a concert pianist. Uh, but anyway, I was heavily into it and always listening to music and expanding my knowledge of music. It was later, 19, 
85 to be specific. I'd already been living in Germany for a number of years. And finally, I was earning some significant money. I'd studied some piano. And even when I gave up studying piano at the university and switched to languages, I was still spending more time on music than, than on languages. I went to Germany then, started making a living teaching English and piano. And it was only in the 1980s where I started making some significant money, had more free time. And I thought, now I'm going to buy a harpsichord. I already owned a Bersendorfer grand piano. thought, I'm going to sell this grand piano because my true love is the harpsichord. And then I sold the grand piano and bought the harpsichord. I could have kept them both, but I thought if I do the harpsichord, I don't have time for both instruments. And so then for a quarter of a century, I played the harpsichord and loved it. Then when I moved to Japan, I had to give it up because the harpsichord wouldn't fit in the apartment here, couldn't have it transported, too expensive, etc., etc. So then I was reduced, in quotes, to the digital harpsichord, that is, a digital keyboard with harpsichord samples. I sampled my harpsichord before I sold it, recorded it note by note. So now when I play, I get the sound of my harpsichord and other harpsichords that I've collected, free harpsichords that you can find on the internet, samples. It's not an easy... I'm going to do other MP3s about how I became the digital harpsichord. This is just though how I discovered Bach. And along the way, over the years, I've played so much Bach, like you know, all of the well-tempered clavier. Unfortunately, never recorded the whole thing. Have some home recordings of book one, let's see, the Goldberg variations, Partitas, a few English suites, I think a couple I missed. French suites, one or two. Uh, chromatic fantasy and fugue, Italian concerto, it's, uh, inventions. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so thank you, J.S. Bach. I hope you are resting in peace because you really deserve it. For the people who know, the amount of music that Bach composed is just incredible. The amount of keyboard music. Oh my God, how can anybody compose so much keyboard music? There, there are some who compose more. There are some who compose really more music in, in general. They say Telemann composed, uh, composed like three times as much music as Bach did. I think it's two or three times as much. It's incredible. Handel composed so much. I don't know if he composed more than Bach, certainly not more keyboard works. But as a keyboard composer, what Bach produced and always of high quality. Beethoven can't say that. Look at the Sonata's Opus 49, numbers one and two. That when Sviatoslav Richter, the great pianist, recorded Beethoven's Sonatas, he refused to record this too. He said, these don't belong in Beethoven. They're early works that shouldn't be among the Sonatas. He, and he published them, Beethoven, at that point in his life, to make some money. I think that was his argumentation there. And he just, he could have played them by sight. I mean, Sviatoslav Richter, one of the greatest sight readers in the world. And he played all the other sonatas brilliantly, but he didn't want to record those two. So with Beethoven, you have, oh, well, these aren't my best. I'm going to throw them in there. Uh, although generally Beethoven is extremely high quality. Of course, some of his works are best piano works ever written, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Chopin, some of his works he wanted destroyed, the famous Fantasie Impromptu. He wanted that to be destroyed. He thought that wasn't good enough. He asked a friend of his to destroy a lot of his music. Fortunately, the friend didn't destroy at least that work because it is a pretty good work, I'd say. Uh, but I guess Chopin wanted to have the highest standards. You look at a lot of other composers, you see a lot of stuff they compose. It just isn't all that convincing, right? But with Bach, that's a great exception. I think it has to do with the fact that he dedicated everything he wrote to God. Now, I'm not a churchgoer, but I would say psychologically... There's a big difference between, say, say a modern, I don't know, somebody writes pop music, and they're dedicating to, the, to this girl they just met, right? Oh, she's so cute, and she has long brown hair, and, and she's my sweetheart, so I'm going to compose a song for her. There's a difference between that and dedicating it to God, if you really believe in God, right? If you're dedicating it to God, you want to put out works of the very highest quality. You wouldn't dare 
to make some you know, dumb little song. Oh, here, God. Here, oh, no, no. God might be angry with you. You want only the best to be given to God. And that was Bach's mindset, I think. Nothing against pop songs or music dedicated to girlfriends. It's a good way to get into their uh, uh, hearts. <laughs> it's a good way to get into the girls heart, right? Oh, look, I wrote a song. and It's dedicated to you. Oh, how sweet. Da, 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 right? <laughs> I sort of become a, a pop music composer, really. But I don't like I, I play more than compose. I don't really compose anyway. Uh, probably because everything I would do, I'd be comparing to Bach and I'd be internally dissatisfied. But then you know, some people are more creative in one sense, some in the other. But Bach dedicated everything to God. For those of you listening to this, if you put up with me this long and you don't know who Bach is, uh, this is a very interesting phenomenon, too. If I say, oh, have you seen the Mona Lisa? La Gioconda, really. It's not really called the Mona Lisa, but people call it that. But everybody says, oh, yes, of course. I, I went to the Louvre, or I saw it in books, right? And it's understandable. It's considered really great, great work. That's one of those works that I never would have picked out as being one of the greatest works of art. I don't know if it's considered that, but people talk as if it were. I don't know. Da Vinci's The Last Supper impresses me much more. Have you seen Da Vinci's The Last Supper? People with some kind of education, oh, yes, of course, I've seen that. And when we studied art history or I saw it in a book or internet. But you ask the same people, have you heard Bach Chacon per solo violin? And they'll say, what? But let me tell you, people, Bach Chacon, and look, this is even a work for the harpsichord. So don't say I'm biased. Bach Chacon in D minor for solo violin is one of the greatest works for any instrument ever written by any human being that we know of. I'm not talking about Atlantis here because maybe they had greater composers. I don't know about that. <laughs> but it's <laughs> in, take my word for it. And you can go into YouTube these days for free and probably hear 30, 40, 50 interpretations of that unique work for violin that's one of the deepest works you can imagine. They say that Bach wrote it when he came home from a, an extended journey of a couple of months or whatever and his wife had died. And there he was stuck with a bunch of kids and no wife. And then supposedly not long after, that's a theory, I don't know whether that's true or not, maybe nobody knows. Uh, he wrote the Chacon that expresses such depth of feeling and tragedy. It is a work that's totally amazing. It's probably, one time my wife and I, another little Bach anecdote here, on a Sunday, because she plays the violin too, and she likes that work. And I have a lot of interpretations of it recorded, not by me, but by others. I mean, on the violin ma mainly, but also on the viola, and even on the harpsichord, a couple of interpretations, piano, the buzzoni. And so I put on this work, a number of interpretations. We listen to that thing. It's about 14 minutes long, depending on interpretation, between 13 and 15. We listen to it seven times in a row. I'll tell you, I don't know if there's any work that I could listen to seven times in a row and not think, okay, I'm going to move on to something else. But after seven times, the only reason why I stopped putting on other versions because we had to eat then, but I was thinking, oh my God, I just listened to seven times in a row and I loved it every single time. That's how great this music is. So if you don't know out there what Bach Chacon for solo violin is, and, and, you, and somebody asks you, you don't know, you are lacking in culture, my friend. You might know The Last Supper, Guernica, the painting of, of Picasso. You might know a lot of things like that. And the Acropolis architecture in, in Greece, you might know that. If you don't know this work, you are severely lacking in general culture. Because this is, I dare say, one of the greatest works written for any solo instrument. And the violin doesn't have the, well, it's much more expressive than the harpsichord, of course, but doesn't have the range of like piano harpsichord. But what Bach put into this work it's just amazing. So if you want to start out with Bach, 
I shouldn't say start out with one of his best creations, but maybe you should do that just to pull yourself into the Bach experience. Now, maybe you listen to Bach and listen to a bunch of his works and you say, honestly, and nothing wrong with being honest, I just can't connect to this guy and his music. And it just doesn't move me. That is valid. I wouldn't criticize that. That is valid. Not everybody is made for everything. But I will tell you, as far as composers go, you will not find a better composer than Johann Sebastian Bach. If there's anybody that's really comparable, it would be Beethoven in his best works, of course. It's like comparing apples and oranges in a sense. But both of them reached heights and depths of music that, frankly, I think nobody else has ever reached. But uh, it, you would be hard put to prove that Beethoven was a better composer than Bach. As far as ta raw talent is concerned, Mozart probably gets surprised. But he died when he was like 35, 36. And uh, we don't know what he would have composed had he lived longer. Bach lived to be 65. And Beethoven, I believe he was 56, if I remember correctly. 56 or was he 57? He was 56, I believe. 1700. 1827, but he died in March. He was born in December. So yeah. So Bach had an extra nine years. But Bach is, in my opinion, the greatest composer of all time. And to not hear at least a good part of his music is to be missing out on unimaginable treasures. And I'm so thankful to Fernando Valenti and his recording Bach for Harpsichord that I just happened to stumble across was that coincidence? Some of my materialistic atheist friends said, that was just coincidence. If you picked up some other recording you liked, you might, you might be a jazz musician now. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. There was something behind that I feel with my whole being. Well, we can speculate about that one way or the other. But in any case, I'm going to end this Bach rant now and say to you, and say to J.S. Bach, thank you wherever you are, and I'm sure you're in that place up there, if such a place exists. <laughs> Thank you for all you did for music, J.S. Bach. May you rest in peace. I chose to do this today. I don't even know if I mentioned the beginning. July 28th, 2022. Bach died on July 28th, 1750, which was a good, what, 250, 272 years ago, if I'm calculating correctly, 200, uh, 1972 years ago. This is Bach's death day. So I'm doing this in memoriam. Johann Sebastian Bach. And now you know how I got into Bach. Let's see when you get into him, if you haven't already. And if you have, maybe you should tell your story as well. It's always nice to reminisce. Thank you for following me in this podcast episode. That's not one of my most important, but it sure was nostalgic and fun for me. Thanks for listening. And until the next time, bye now. <laughs>